Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. I'm not exactly sure who said it to me, but years ago, there was a phrase that was given to me that has really stuck in my mind and my heart my entire life. Stress brings out your true character. Let me say this to you again. Stress brings out your true character. Now, I've always been an athlete pretty much all my entire life. And and one of the things I found for me as an overcompetitive alpha male is that sports brought out my true character. I, I just loved competing. I loved everything about it. And there's this crazy thing. When I was in high school, like I was so into Jesus and telling everybody about him and like bringing my friends to the Lord and like, hey, I just want you to know like God loves you. And I was just like this little young evangelist. Like I just love hanging out with people who are far from God. And like I just, just my God made me. And, and then I would go and play sports and like, bro, who are you? As this slew of profanity came out of my mouth when I shoved my best friend for fouling me, when I'm sitting here competing and I would just lose it. When I'm winning, I'm like, high five, what's up, bro? We are the best, so happy. But when I started to get that tension in my life of losing, that stress was the greatest, one of the greatest stresses in my life as a young high school athlete. And then my character came out. So in one sense, here I am loving you and saying God loves you every day of the week, every hour until we get on the court. Now I hate you because you're my enemy. And if you're beating me, this word vomit came out of me like lava out of a out of a volcano, and I started saying all these terrible things, and I started blaming my teammates, and it was gross. I'm so embarrassed to think back of that time, because now I only do it when Illinois drivers cut me off. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy how your character can change so quickly? What makes us so mad in driving? Let's just think, if you're a calm driver, God bless you. you, What makes us so mad when somebody going too slow raises your heart rate? What makes you so angry at the human in front of you who is driving in the left lane and not doing the speed limit? Or if you're from Illinois, 25 miles over the speed limit. And what makes it like we have this emotional response that here we are like, I'm so kind until you cut me off. And all of a sudden, this rage fills out of me. You know how many stories I've heard of people with Jesus stickers on their back giving a God bless you sign to someone who cut them off? What is it? What is it about tension and stress that brings out our true character? And more of a better question, is it really that tension and stress brings out who you really are? It's at that moment when you're, you start moving into what we call emotional brain, when your adrenaline starts pumping and you don't have Let's say the rain's tied down on you. You aren't being proper. When those things happen and the guards start to loosen a little bit, the true you starts coming out. Maybe for you, it's when you start arguing with your spouse because he or she knows how to get under your skin purposefully. And that moment and when he or she does it on purpose and you know that there's a strike to try to hurt you. And then at that moment, you just say, I, I can't hold back anymore. 
blood pressure raises, head starts pounding, and you're like, I just can't take it, Jason mad, and I turn green and start pounding everything I can and smashing and destroying and leaving this wake of pain until I feel better. I wonder if that's because that's our true character. Our true character comes out when there's tension. Our true character comes out when you don't have the ability to control it. The true character starts to come out when you aren't happy. The true character, who we really are inside at those tension points, you can start to say, how good am I at doing this Jesus thing? How good of a, we'll just say human that I am, comes out in those tension points. What about this? What about when you lose your job? When you lose your job, if you've ever lost a job before, there's a tension that comes there as all of life feels like it's out of control, where you feel like what you had as control is ripped from you, your future is ripped from you, your security is ripped from you, your family's stability is ripped from you, and you have this response that comes out of that of either you just break down, your self-worth is gone, you feel like you're nothing, you're angry, you're upset, you don't trust God anymore to provide, he provides when you have the job. But as soon as something's taken from you, like, God, where are you? You can't provide for me. Or what? maybe, maybe a relationship ends, and you are in love with this human. You're like, this is the best person in the entire world, and I know he's meant for me. I know she's meant for me. And now something happens, and you start to say, God, where are you now? You can't provide for me. You're not going to take care of me. There'll be nobody else. And so your whole faith structure starts to crumble when you lose. Am I the only one that struggles with this sometimes? That when, my, when things start taken from me and I feel like I'm out of control, that I start to lose my trust in the God who's given me everything anyway, because then really what I'm showing is that this is what I really feel about God. Everybody worships God when things are good. It's good, it's good. When things get hard, we say, how dare you, how could you? Or in the church world, and this is no blaming, I don't... I, I don't know your story, so like, oh, he's talking to me, pastor. Everyone thinks I'm staring at you. Truth is, I can't see a thing. You're just all bright lights. I'm not staring at you, but maybe I am. (laughs) What if, what if you're the person, when everything's good, you stop talking to God, as everything goes bad, then you run back to church? And you say, church, you got to help me. Jason, you got to help me. God, you got to help me. As soon as you get what you want, you're gone again. That's your character, guys. We all have issues. We all have issues. It's not about pointing fingers at everybody because everyone here, like I said, I can't see you, but I, the, the spotlight's on me because I write this sermon out of my own inadequacy, that I'm that person who struggles. I struggle with this concept of can I keep my character even when things are hard? And I'm so proud to say I'm much better in my 40s than when I was 17 years old. Thank you, Lord, for that. But I still don't nail it. In fact, there's times where I have to ask for forgiveness. There's times where I'm like, God, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Because we are constantly refining and working on our character and who we really are when tension comes. And so today, we're going to look into a fascinating passage. We're in the the words of Jesus, the final words. And in these final words of Jesus, you're going to find something fascinating about Jesus. You're looking at it from a different light. What did Jesus say when he's hanging on a cross? When he's hanging on a cross in more pain than you and I can imagine, beaten and flogged, unrecognizable. He's been left by all of his friends. Everybody hates him. They're spitting on him, mocking him, making fun of him. 
what did Jesus do? So today we're in Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 43. Uh, Bibles, Bible apps, uh, we'll have it on the screen today, but what I always encourage you, if you're, if you're newer or new to Mosaic, I really want you to read the Word of God for yourself. It's very important both inside and outside of the church. This isn't a Sunday-only book. This book is guide and instruction on how to live, as you're going to hear today from Jesus. So be a student of the Word. And we don't learn the Word to get more information. We learn the Word to transform us so that our character becomes like our Master, Jesus Christ. And so be a student of the word, read it, and soak it in. So we're in Luke 23, verses 32 to 43, and this is where we're picking up the story. We're picking up the story that Jesus has already been wrongfully tried. He's been thrown between courts. The judicial system was completely messed up. The Jewish people didn't want to deal with him and call him guilty. The Roman people who occupied Jerusalem said, we, he's not guilty on our accounts, so he's getting bounced around, and everyone's trying to get this guy killed. So he's wrongfully tried. In this wrongful trial, before all that, he's betrayed by one of his best friends, Judas. One of his 12 disciples betrays him for money. So he's been betrayed. Now he's wrongfully tried. All of his disciples have scattered and left because they're terrified. He's then taken and beaten to the place of he's barely, you can't even tell he's there. He is losing all of this blood. He is beaten within an inch of his life. And now they've taken him wrongfully and put him on a cross between two thieves. Okay, this is, this is the day of Jesus. This is what Jesus is going through. Okay, and this is what we can see is happening when we read these scriptures. Verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lot. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews... Save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our, our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Are you telling me that Jesus, God's son, who is both fully God and fully man at the same time, that God's son is literally forgiving people while he's getting murdered? While he's being wrongfully murdered and beaten and executed? This amazing Savior is saying, forgive them? I can't even forgive anyone who cuts me off in a lane. I can't forgive people who are too slow, piggly, wiggly. I can't forgive people when you walk on my lawn and ruin it. I'm like, what are you doing, Messiah? You are at the worst, highest stress point of your life. And you're saying something that is absolutely otherworldly. Forgive them? Because they don't know what they're doing? You know what you're doing. 
Come on, how can you say that? Are you telling me that God of the universe is giving grace and mercy upon people because they aren't realizing he really is the son of God? You're gonna have that sort of grace and mercy and then add one more to you, Jesus. You're gonna save somebody while you're dying. This is, when you break it down, the most, one of the most intense passages of all of Scripture in Jesus' ministry because you are seeing firsthand how legit Jesus Christ is. Yes, he's done miracles. Yes, he's talking about the kingdom of God. Yes, he's done all the things which are all so important to the story of Jesus. And I can see when I read through the New Testament how beautiful all this is. Where I relate to Jesus, one of the key moments is on this cross when I'm saying, God, you can end this all, but you're saying forgive everybody. To me, if I'm hanging on this cross, I'm not forgiving any of you. I'm not looking there and saying, oh, God, just forgive them because they're messed up. My, I'm in my own self-pity. I'm moaning and I'm in pain and I'm so focused on myself and my character is going to start to come out, which I'm hoping is better than when I was 17. But it's going to be flawed. I'm going to be a broken man speaking broken words. But God of the universe now models for all of us, that is not what you say, Jason. That is not what you say, Mosaic Church. You must be forgiving. I can't even fathom this thought. I can't fathom this. But something we have to dig into because it's so important today, and we're going to look into a little bit of history. I really want you to understand and drive this. Is this idea that Jesus was God in flesh. He was both God and human. And there's been lots of great theological books written about this, lots of big, big, big words. I'm going to break it down simply for you. God in flesh. Jesus was the word or the action of God. And so Jesus was fully human, but at the same time, fully God, which means that he lived like a human. He actually was human. This is so, so, so important to understand. There is a belief called, it's a big word, docetism. Docetism. This was a belief that came out after Jesus that started to have this heresy or this false teaching that there is no way that Jesus could have really been human because docetism believes that anything that is flesh or material is inherently evil, okay? Anything that is flesh is inherently evil. So this is a religious group that starts teaching this false religion, which inside of this, there's another big word called Gnosticism. Gnosticism now takes docetism into it, and Gnosticism is this belief that starts 2nd century AD that says this, all matter is evil, even the world and rocks and sky and animals. Everything is evil that is made. The only thing that is pure or good is the spirit. So then Christianity starts going with Gnosticism. And what this means is that there's no way Jesus could be flesh or human because God is good and flesh is evil. So therefore, these two things could never combine. So what Gnosticism believed is that Jesus had a, like an apparition or a mirage of being humid. In our terminologies, think of it, he had like a hologram Jesus. <laughs> so hologram Jesus is walking around pretending to be human, eating and sleeping, drinking and walking, doing all these things we do every day, but it's just a hologram. It's not really him. Who Jesus really was, was God with a hologram. 
There's huge problem when it comes to this because theologically and doctrinally, if we believe that Jesus was not truly human, it's going to defunct the entire scriptures because the scriptures tell us over and over again that Jesus lived as a human being. Check out these verses. John 1.14, the word became flesh, right? In the beginning of John, the word, capital W, Jesus is called the word of God. So the word of God became flesh. 1 John 4.2, The spiritual world even acknowledges he's human. Listen to this. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So even testing spirits in the spiritual world, if they admit and say that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, you know that God has brought that spirit. It's a spirit of God. Uh, He was born, Luke 2, 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there's no place for them In the end, he came from Mary. His human shell came from Mary. She did not give birth to a hologram. She gave birth to a literal baby. But as we know in the scriptures, the seed was not from Joseph, that God had given that spirit or that seed so that he was both God and man at the same time. He grew, Luke 2.40, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Sometimes you think of Jesus that boop, just popped in like he was a traveler that came from nowhere. But Jesus was a known entity. And so this is very important when we start doing our work and understanding this part of doctrine. Jesus was a known entity in the community. They watched him as a little baby grow up into a man. In fact, so much so that when he started to speak, they're like, who are you to tell us what to do? You're just the Joseph's kid. You need to get out of here. So they saw him grow. He was a grown little boy. He was a teenager. He became a young man. He became a full-grown man. And so it is a human body in which he actually grew. Jesus grew tired, John 4, 6. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Jesus got tired. Sometimes we think of super Jesus, like Jesus had these like super Jesus, like he didn't, he didn't get tired, he, he didn't eat, he didn't have to drink, like he was some superpower. There's actually some beliefs that like he didn't have to do those things, he just did that to relate to people. But that's going to go back into Gnosticism. Because if Jesus was fully human, it's important, this is so important in this understanding. If he's fully human, that means he fully took the punishment for humans. If he's not fully human, that as God, the superpower, he didn't go through what we go through. He didn't feel what we felt, which means as he's hanging on the cross, he's like, I'm just just, just chilling, just waiting, waiting my time. I, have, I don't feel anything. It doesn't hurt. I mean, there's no, there's no punishment for sin here. There's no death that's really involved because I'm not really dying. It's just a hologram. Woo, 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 woo. But the truth is, is that the wages of sin is death. So life has to be taken, as we learn in the scriptures. So as Jesus is hanging on this cross, it is very important to understand that he is both God and man, but he is fully human. Listen to Luke 4, 1-2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. I would be hungry too after 40 days. Why would they add that into the scripture verse if they're not intentionally writing right here to understand that he was human, 
He, as 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and prayed and was tempted by the devil in this passage as both God and man, which means he, at any time, could go in any direction. You're going to hear about that a little bit later. He could have, at any time, said, I'm not doing this. Let's read on. Luke 23, 46, and Jesus literally died. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, unto your hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, he breathed his last. Holograms don't typically breathe unless it's programmed in the hologram. But he had an actual flesh, an actual body that after he died, the hologram didn't disappear. A body came off the cross. A body was buried a body was mourned over. A body was in the tomb. And as we come to Easter, they go to literally embalm or put the spices and do the proper burial after the Sabbath for Jesus' body. And then when Easter comes, his body is gone. Like his literal human body, gone. And so what this shows us is that Jesus conquers death, even over death for all of us. That Jesus is superior to all of it. That God's plan from the beginning as he brought Jesus, was to save humanity, and Jesus did it. Now let's get back into our passage. Here he is, he's hanging on a cross, and we start to see something that's very unique. As he's hanging there, the torture continues. I'm going to use the word torture because if someone's hurling insults at you and making fun of you and mocking you, it's going to hurt. I I mean, it's going to hurt. If I start making fun of you, like, hey, nice shoes, you know, like, you're hanging, we're making fun of you, you're mocking, okay? This isn't mocking. This is downright evil, evil words to get him to come off the cross. These words that are being said are being said to the God of the universe because Jesus was at the beginning of all things. All things are created through him. Jesus is king over everything. So this is his creation, his children, his people, mocking, driving, try, I mean, just the worst things. Can you imagine? Jesus is the God of the universe, which gave up everything, his throne. He gave up everything to save us. And in his last moments, it's like the last final digs are going in. And if you listen to it through this, you start to see what I'm saying. First, we look at three groups. There's three groups, Jewish leaders. Verse 35. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. The rulers, the religious people, they said, he saved ever others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen ones. The Jewish leaders who've been after him for most of his ministry, who hate this dude, they hate him because he is teaching a different way of loving God. What Jesus was teaching was taking the power from the religious people, and what he was doing was giving all the power to God so that now people can have a relationship with God. And so these religious people were losing everything, and they watched him, and they didn't like him, and they said he said he was the son of God, so they hated him. And so now this Messiah, this ha-ha-ha Messiah, is up on the cross. And so all of the people who have hated him all of this time are sitting there mocking him and just giggling under their breath. In our terminology or in our day, we can think of those people as all the church people. All the church people. Grab all the church people from all the churches across Washington County, and they're sitting there like, if he's so, he said he could save himself, why doesn't he save himself? See, he isn't real. He isn't real because he can't prove it to me. Jesus isn't real because he can't prove it to me. 
If he can prove it to me, then I'll believe in him. If he can prove it to me, then I'll say he was the Messiah. He said he could save other people. Dude can't even save himself. I'm calling absolute nonsense. He said he could do it. He checked this guy out, and they're sitting there laughing at him. All these religious people mocking the God of the universe. And Jesus' character holds in the middle of all that. The very people who are teaching the same story about God, they were, their job was to teach people about God. Their job was to teach them about the Father. Their job was to bring people to a place of worship of his most beloved dad. And they're sitting there mocking him, saying it can't be real because you can't save yourself. I have that same conversation today with people, and maybe, maybe you're in that story. If God doesn't prove himself to me, I don't believe him. If you can't prove to me this X, Y, Z, I think it's all garbage. Guess what? Even if he proves himself to you, you're still not going to believe him. Because if Jesus Christ would have taken himself off the cross, let's just say that for an instant, people still wouldn't believe him because he was casting out demons. And they're like, that dude's a demon. They called Jesus a demon for casting out demons. When he did good things, he said he was full of garbage. When he did miraculous things for the kingdom of God, they said he was evil. So even if... God, Jesus is so smart. God is so smart. If he came off the cross, they still wouldn't believe him. And Jesus knows that. And on top of that, Jesus holds to the will of the Father, and the will of the Father is that Jesus stayed. Imagine looking down at a group of people. Imagine, let's just put ourselves on that cross. Imagine you're looking down at all these people who have just beaten you and mocked you and, and, and flogged you and all these things, and you're looking at them, they're all laughing at you. As you're dying, as you're wrongfully being murdered, there is so much. Do you think Jesus didn't have emotions, friends? I mean, emotionally, that had to hurt. Jesus, we see in the scriptures, Jesus wept. Jesus was happy. We see Jesus upset when there's a disrespect of God. Do you know what that would feel like? On top of everything else that's going on, the amount of emotional, spiritual, physical pressure that's on that cross right now is greater than we can ever imagine. Because there's a second group that jumps into this. That's the Roman soldiers. Verse 36. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There's written notice above him which read, This is king of the Jews. This wasn't a proclamation. This was a mockery. Rome had occupied Israel. And so as Rome occupies Israel... There was a belief within the Jewish people that a king is going to rise up to return them back to their glory days. And this king of the Jews would be the one to overthrow Rome because Rome owned pretty much everything in that area. They were territorial. They were moving through everywhere. And they believed that there would be one who would rise up and take God's people out of the rule of Rome. And out of the rule of Rome means that they would be at the high point in the, in the culture again and that they would be the ones ruling everybody. There was a belief that Messiah was going to save them from Rome. And so when Jesus says, I, the king of the Jews, they're like, yeah, right, some great military leader. This is no king of the Jews. Let's just say a king of the Jews. And they're laughing and like giggling, like great king, here we go. And so they do this and they put the notice up above his head. And then they're like, hey, let's get him some wine vinegar. So they get this wine to him. And that's multiple times in scriptures you see in different accounts of the gospels, different times Jesus has offered this drink mix. And this drink mix for different times in the scriptures are given for different reasons. The Romans here give it to him as a mockery. Here, great king, 
Oh, king, let us have a feast with all of you. Bring out the suckling foods and the pigs and the... Bring, well, they can't eat pigs they're Jewish, but bring out everything. Bring it out. Let's have a great feast for the king. King, drink from the goblet, O king of the Jews. Let us drink and be merry. Bring your royal court, and we will bow to you in your service. And they offer laughing and giggling. And they said, ha, ha, ha. And they start just downing this wine, slobbering over it and laughing at the king. Jesus is looking down at them and saying, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. God, I can't imagine. What's Jesus saying to the Father at this moment? Lord, man, they just don't know. They don't know. I can't even imagine that. I want this tension to hold in the room for a second as you start to think, what would you do if this happened in Washington County to you? If you're wrongfully, now on social media and Facebook, they're airing this, and you're on a TikTok thread of watching your bare body being that's brutalized up on a cross and everyone's laughing and making fun of you, just mocking you. Knowing that all these people are going to see it. Jesus being the son of God knows that this story is going to be told for thousands and thousands of years. This is happening in real time to a real Jesus. This is not something that we have to separate ourselves from from Easter time and say like, oh, that's a story over there. I want us to feel it today because that feeling of that's going to show you how powerful the gospel of Jesus Christ is. I want to take one more group here that is on this cross with him or in these crosses. It's the two thieves. The two thieves, verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Okay, you've got people on the ground, all the crowd. You've got the Roman soldiers, and now the dude sitting next to you. The guy who is literally a criminal, the guy who literally is convicted of a terrible crime is like, aren't you the Messiah? He's making fun of him as he's dying. If you're the Messiah, save yourself and us. Each people group is only interested in themselves. Each people group is like, if you're so great, come down and prove to us. You're so great, what? show us that you're Messiah. Now the criminal's like, if you're the Messiah, take me off this cross so I can bounce. Get down if you really are the chosen one. But he isn't really meaning, he's mocking him. Because he knows if he really was the Messiah, he wouldn't be on the cross in his mind. In his mind, this Messiah is going to be the great king, just like everybody else. And here, what a big disappointment Jesus is. A monster disappointment to everybody there that Jesus, who is supposed to be the one to save them from Rome, is now the one who's being murdered, which means everything is over. And then the thief next to him is like, bro. <laughs> bro. Get this, though. This is what's so fascinating. Jesus could have taken himself off the cross. I don't know if you ever knew that or took the verse and understood that. Jesus could have taken himself off the cross. He could have said, no, I'm done. He could have at any moment, because when you look at Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Lord, take this cup from me, this burden from me, but it's not my will and it's your will be done. And so we're going to transport back to a time when Jesus is teaching his disciples when he's not on the cross. John chapter 10, 17 to 18. Imagine this, he's sitting with his friends and he says this verse, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, 
but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus wasn't on the cross because of Roman soldiers, because of Jewish leaders. He was there because he said, okay. He's staying there because he said, I will go. He's staying there because the will of the Father is that his son would be murdered so that you can have eternal life. The reason that he is staying on this cross is to give glory and honor to his Father, to give him the will of the Father to worship and to be in one accord with his Father because their plan from the beginning was to save humanity. But he didn't have to do it. He could have taken it back because that choice was his. If he was put there by Roman soldiers, everything changes. If he was put there by Jewish leaders, everything changes. He was put there by the Father to save you. Jesus stayed on because of his Father. And then the will of the Father was to save you. He didn't come down. But what if he did? What if Jesus did come down? Let's just play a little bit. What if Jesus said, okay, cool. Hey, God, I am done. Smite everybody here. Jesus comes down, poof, everyone's electrified. Are you here today? Let's take a different story. He comes down, everyone's like, oh, he is the son of God. We now believe. Even though he's done miracles and done all these things for three years, they aren't going to believe. At the same time, maybe they would have believed. But are you here today? Jesus stayed on the cross because love. Jesus stayed there because of his love of the Father. His free will offering was because of the Father. A lot of times we hear uh, sermons and, or songs, I mean, and they'll talk about how God thought of you above all. I, I don't agree at all with that because Jesus was fixated on the will of the Father. Jesus loved God the Father just like we are supposed to love God. And so he is modeling for us what love looks like. Love is doing the will of the Father. And at the same time, the love of the Father and the Son is the love for you. And so we now get to enter into the story of love because Jesus says, I want all of the people who follow me to be one like you and I are one, Father. The whole purpose was to bring us back to the Garden of Eden, back to our place of relationship with God. And it's all because of Love. I don't have love when you're murdering me. I don't have love when I'm stressed out. I, don't, I certainly don't forgive you. When this is happening to me and when I'm in tension, I go right away to self-preservation. And let's go one step further. When you're in tension and things are going bad, do you tend to say, hey, God, prove it that you love me? Or start to say, God, if you really love me, you're going to fill in the blank. And we start to put our story onto God's story, as opposed to saying, Father, what story do you have for me? Whether I like it or not, I accept it. Because that's the story of Jesus Christ. He's on the cross, dying. He's being mocked. He's being made fun of. All of this is happening. But listen to what happens in the waning moments of his life to the thief next to him, this beautiful encounter. He says this in verse 46. The thief says this. Then he said, Jesus, will you just remember me when you come into your kingdom? Will you just think, would you just remember me? 
Will you talk, will you talk to God about me? Would you just mention me? Can you? I don't deserve anything. I, I'm supposed to be here. Can you just, I don't know, it would be pretty cool if you even thought about me. He's not saying, God, you better do these seven things. You owe me. If you're the Messiah, here's the seven things you better do. He just says, hey, it'd be cool if you thought about me. Just remember me. I don't know. I'm not going to be with you. I'm not going to be with you. I don't deserve to be by you. I don't deserve heaven. He's Jewish. He understands what's going on. I don't deserve to be there. I wasn't even a good Jew. I didn't do the right things. I didn't practice any of our rituals. I'm not going to be there, God, so just, just remember me. And Jesus does something that transforms a lot. Truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't even go to church on Sunday. How is he going to be in paradise? How in the world is this man, who's absolute sociologically terrible, he is a terrible person of the culture, he is a terrible human being, he is a convicted criminal, all he says, would you think about me? And Jesus says, you're with me? Because those are the type of people Jesus loves and saves. So when people say or you feel there's no way I'm good enough for God to love me, welcome to the club of Jesus because none of us are. And the beauty of this thief on the cross is that he knew he was Jesus, the Messiah. He knew. He knew that he was the chosen one. No one else there at that moment in that crowd recognized him except for one criminal. The church people didn't. The Romans didn't. The other convicted felon didn't. This guy did. He realized he was the Messiah. And so here's Jesus, beaten, dying, ridiculed, mocked, fully human, feeling everything, emotional, spirit, all the pain, the physical, the spiritual, the mental, everything is just anguish. And he turns and says, you are forgiven. Man, Easter looks different this year. Because the pain that he went through, I don't think I could do it, but I'm going to ask you, could you do it? Could you save people who hate your guts? Could you save people who did something even wrong to you? Could you save, intentionally give your life for a group of people who are spitting on you, mocking you? What Jesus did at this time is why we sing songs. If you're under, like, maybe you're new to, you know, kind of our evangelical way of song singing and things, you're a little more, that more of a traditional band or whatever. Let me explain to you why we worship. We worship because we understand in awe of how great God is and what he has done. We sit here and we sing songs, not because we like the music style, nor necessarily, oh, this really isn't my jam. That's not what we do here, though they are good jammers. That's not what we do it. I do it because I come to a place of understanding how great God is and how small I am. All I can do when I come to the place of a passage like this is say, who am I, God, that you would save me and stay on the cross? Who am I that I should even be thought of? Why would you remember me when you get to your kingdom? I'm nobody. I'm nothing. But God, you are everything. And what God does in those moments when we worship, our heart turns off of ourself and our heart turns to the majesty of the kingdom. And you realize how big he is and how small you are. That's why you'll see some people weeping at times. It's not a weeping of great pain. 
It's a weeping of this brokenness yet joy. You'll see people raising their hands like this. This is just a symbol or an adoration saying, I agree with you and I point my hand towards you and say, I want you to see my hand is raised to you and I worship you, God, because you are worthy. There's nothing overly spiritual about it. It's our just, it's surrender. You'll see people praying with their hands open like this. The reason that this happens is like, God, I want my life like this, but I open my hands like this because I want to pray and give you everything. You are worthy, great king. You are worthy of everything. This is why we do this. There's nothing religious about this. This is the power of God in our lives that says, come to me, everybody who's broken and messed up, all of you criminals on the cross, all of your issues, I'm here and I absolutely love you. Come to the cross. At the cross, there is not higher and lower ground. There's not people who are closer to Jesus and people further away. At the cross, we say the ground is even for everybody who wants to kneel and worship. So today, we look at this king who gave everything, this king who at the highest stress point of his life shows us what character looks like, that we are to hold on to. The God of the universe stayed there to save all of humanity. And while he's doing this, he says, Father, forgive them. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.